Visser 3 learned to be a villain by watching old Sailor Moon episodes. Waiting for a break in the rain Waiting for the moment to change your lane I came home from the wasteland Heroic and triumphant like a comic book girl Created out of nothing like a comic book girl Hey! If you're here, say I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. That's only three voices, though. So I guess we're missing Cassandra again. Well, I hope she's okay. Let's remind our professor who we are, especially since our little little cast here keeps changing. Uh, hi, I'm Parker. I use she, her. And last night, I began a Wikipedia rabbit hole with whether or not Andalites are precocial or altricial, and uh, that resulted in me staying up until three in the morning talking to Brad. So maybe both of us are a little sleepy, but we'll, we'll try not to crash. That's so great. I don't know what those words mean, actually. Um... Uh, precocial animals are animals that know how to do things very shortly after they're born. Altricial animals, after they're born, need, like, some amount of care before they can start, like, doing things. But yeah, they're, they're precocial, because they, they have they have hooves they need to be able to walk around and do stuff. Yeah, and eat. It's just like, uh, it's just like Earth ungulates, you know? I'm an ungulate. Um, uh. My name is Erso, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have a cool fact again. I did. Be, I did read the book this week, and I got it in paper. Just give us a riffle of those pages right up on your. Yeah. Microphone, well, please. okay, because the book morphs, so that's why you got to do that. Yeah. Axe morphs from axe to also axe. <laughs> you uh, axe morphs from axe to. Your cousin Philip from out of state. I am the aforementioned Brad who was kept up and also actively involved in the keeping up of the two of us. I use he and they pronouns. Okay, today we're reading the eighth volume of Animorphs entitled The Alien, the first of the Animorphs journals narrated from Aximili Escaruth Isils. My boy finally gets his time in the spotlight. And boy howdy does he have a lot to tell us. Yes, there's a lot that happens in this book and um, a lot of it is internal actually terms of Axe's experience. I'm excited to dive into and break down what happens. I feel cheated because when I got this paper copy of the book, on the back it says, Animorphs bookmark inside. And there's a quote from Axe that says, bookmarks are not to be eaten, though they taste quite good. Ah! <laughs> you open it up to like the middle of the book and what is missing? The bookmark. Axe ate it. Axe ate it, he did. <laughs> Ugh, between eight, between pages 88 and 89, right in front of chapter 12, there's just like a missing little strip of cardboard here. It makes me very sad. So this one, unlike every other journal that we've read so far, begins with a prologue. And we get Axe's perspective on the events immediately leading up to his brother Prince Elfangor's ship crashing. The mighty Elfangor. The, the indestructible Elfangor. The, uh, yeah, the, the, the sort of, like, something akin to, like, a folk hero here. We, uh, we sort of get some more looks into sort of Andalite hierarchy, into Andalite military hierarchy. I think, yeah, we get a, a huge look into that. And we also get, um, a pretty vivid description of 
what Andalite technology is like and what, you know, their battles in space are like and what the dome ship is like, which is... One thing that I really loved about this is that Axe introduces the concept of just thinking too loudly, which, like, <laughs> I definitely can understand as a human being because there have been moments where I'm like, how is everyone not able to hear me because I'm screaming in here? Um, mm -hmm. And it turns out that you can, you just most human beings just don't have the ability to, to notice that. Axe thinking too loudly and committing a social faux pas is a big mood, as the kids say. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. It's it's very funny, especially like having like what's, you know, I've never experienced thought speak before, but like how close is it to thinking to yourself? Because like I talk to myself in my mind all the time. So yeah, so we get sort of um, uh, a little dive into what has already what we already know has happened in the, the lead up to the whole the, the first journal and um the events of journal number four the message uh, a quick description of them and then we go on to chapter one and there's a uh excerpt from the earth diary of Axemilius garethus still <laughs> i think it's in the prologue that he that X mentions that he learned about humans in Andalite school for Andalites. This planet was known to be inhabited by a reasonably intelligent species. We had learned a little about them in school. Uh, I was immediately curious, and that curiosity as to what they learned about humans in Andalite school for Andalites was, uh, was satisfied uh, a little bit later. Well, yeah, it kind of makes it, he kind of makes it sound like they have learned not that much, actually. He seems continually surprised when he sort of delves deeper into human civilization that, like, humans adapt very quickly and they're quick to develop technology. Mm -hmm. um, at, at one point, he makes a comparison that um, humans develop, like, some huge technological leap within 100 years and it takes Andalites 400 years to do the same thing, so... The rabbit hole that I went down last night, I was wondering whether or not the fact that we're all tricheal and they're precocial had anything to do with that. Just, like, all of the little biological factors that lead up to, like, the different ways that we think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, also having a natural tool at their disposal might make, it might make them a little bit more comfortable staying in, I don't know, like a... Like, they didn't have to develop tools in order to open up, like, a coconut, the Andalite version of a coconut, so... We get the prologue where we find out how Axe actually ended up in a domed garden under the ocean. Yeah, and he watches them just all be killed by a big yerk ship, a blade ship. Um, mm -hmm. The dome separates from the, from the Andalite main ship and mm -hmm. starts falling into the ocean. It's really interesting that the dome, like the construction of the dome ship in the first place is like, it's necessitated by the fact that Andalites, as we find out in this book, they they eat by running and crushing grass with their hooves. So they need a dome on their ship to have a garden in which they can eat and feel at peace and stuff. Whereas like, it's an interesting contrast to the Yurk ship, which is all business all the time. It looks like a giant ax. <laughs> and so the dome from the dome ship has to completely detach. And thus begins Axe's complicated relationship with Andalite values and the concept of honor. Right now, he's sort of focused on his experience on Earth, and he's, uh, in Chapter 1, morphing into... Philip from Out of State. I don't know why they dis they needed to name him Philip. Like, Axe doesn't strike me as, like, an unusual, like, 
plausible human name slash nickname? Well, Philip and all of his good human pals go to the mall. Yeah, they, they undergo a guerrilla operation to go see a Star Trek movie. Uh, <laughs> it's like fun and funny, but also sort of underpins how much stress these children are under. Yeah, they, um, like Axe observes how Rachel is sort of more constantly vigilant than everyone else. We should hit the Yerks again while they're weak, Rachel growled. We know the Yerks won't get a new ground-based Kondrona for another week. They must still be starving for lack of Kondrona rays. We should hit them. But, like, they sort of, the Animorphs haven't seen any effect. The last journal, from which was yeah. from Rachel's perspective, they don't see Yerks dying all over the place. The last time that we talked, at the end of that journal, Rachel was like, oh yeah, but we wouldn't, like, you know, but everything would be normal for a little while longer, but I'll get to that later. And I was oh, like, right, how yeah. is that possible? And, like, obviously my question gets answered here is, like, they go and see a Star Trek movie. <laughs> oh my goodness. If you look at the history of comedy, like, like, right after this point, like, when you get into, like, the really, like, like third degree of postmodernism that occurs in the 21st century, you start to see a lot more, uh, you start to see the rise of, like, awkward and bizarre humor a lot more than you did in the 1990s, as I understand it. I feel like if they, if all this had been going on, like, 10 or 20 years after the fact, they could have passed off a lot of the extremely weird things that Axe does. It's like, oh, it's like a bit, you know? It's like a- huh. It's improv everywhere. Exactly. Like, he's intentionally <laughs> being weird, but they don't have that as a defense here because that kind of comedy wasn't in vogue yet. Interesting. I don't I don't feel like I know enough about that to comment, but that's like a really good read. Um, yeah, because Axe does not act like a normal human. Yeah, he consumes- Let's keep a count here. <laughs> he consumes like um, half a bucket of popcorn, the bucket of popcorn, <laughs> raisinets from the floor, and also M&Ms and... Um, How long did it take y'all to figure out what the brown globules were? Globules! <laughs> Um, I assumed they were milk duds. I had absolutely no idea. I like... Yeah, I also had no idea. <laughs> I mean, God, somebody somebody coming up to somebody at the movie theater and saying, please give me your brown globules? Question mark exclamation point. <laughs> absolutely could be a bit of like gorilla sort of absurdist comedy. I merely wish to enjoy the brown globules, I explained to the screaming child. <laughs> Anyway, the trip to the movies is ruined completely. Yeah, they get through like 20 minutes of the movie and Tobias is like, wow, that was it. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they try really hard to socialize acts. But they don't. That's the thing. They, they, it's, it's too little too late. They should have had this covered. I don't know. Anyway, they leave the movie theater. They're focusing on his safety first. Anyways... Um, <laughs> So they leave the movie theater, and then some bad things, unrelated to what they are doing at the moment, occur oh, yeah, outside they're the just movie like theater. Walking around, and this guy. Uh, hey everyone. Oh, hello. Oh, hi. Here. Hi, Cassandra. Yeah, sorry, I'm late. I'm so glad you could make it. Um, yeah, sorry, I've um been sick, so. Oh no. Do you have um? Are you? Is it? Is no, it no, it, it it wasn't the dripping. Okay, good. Yeah, I assumed not. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> other stuff. Hi, hi, professor. I'm Cassandra. She, her. Um, I also wanted to like say that I feel kind of bad about like how mean 
I've been about Andalites sometimes, so sorry about that, everyone. Huh. Um, I'm sure our professor really appreciates that. Yeah, you, you're fine. Oh, okay, we're on the eighth journal, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're in the bit where they've just left the movie theater and they oh, see yeah. um, they, they watch a yerk starve to death in public. Yeah, in real time, for the second time. <laughs> Anyways, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you could make it. So, yeah, let's get your take on this since you just arrived. Oh, what did you think of this spot when <laughs> the screaming controller is, like, pulling the yerk out of his head? Ugh, way to put me on the spot, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, this was... I found it viscerally horrifying. Viscerally um, Yes, viscerally horrifying. <laughs> Thank you. That pun never been done before in the whole history of the world. Uh, description of it happening, it sounds incredibly unpleasant and traumatic for the Yerk and the Yerk's host. And then, of course, it's pretty upsetting to read Axe's narration where he, it, he knew this would happen. Like, that is something that I, I know he's a kid, but I find it really hard to get past that Axe is just like, yep, he knew that starving the year, the Yerks of Candrona Rays would ultimately result in a lot of Yerks and a lot of controllers dying. Yeah, um, you know, Jake is, Jake's first thought is, wow, this is so great, you know, they're finally going to have, like, a Yerk, a real, actual Yerk, and it'll be undeniable what what everyone is saying. All these people will undoubtedly be claiming when they are freed, but... As we see, an ambulance comes and sort of shuffles this man away, which restores the, like, you know, social normality that everyone's expecting. And Axe notices, but no one else does, that um, one of the people who's undoubtedly a controller slips out a small silver cylinder and puts it to the back of the man's neck. And he just sort of, like, crumples. Yikes. This is worst nightmare totalitarian tier stuff. Right? Right? It's like the sharing is scary, but this is like, oh, we're just going to kill people in public and we're going to make it seem like they're just taken to the hospital. This was like the, I think maybe the worst possible sort of outcome for me being like, wait, but then everybody's going to notice. It's like, no, we just have infiltrated the systems of control to the degree that we can disappear people. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, no, God, that's awful. That's really scary. And Axe is just like, yep, this is how it is. Was it really not enough people dying to be, like, noticeable? Yeah, it feels like that's, that's, if there's a lot of controllers and they're only saving the important people, that's still a lot of people being murdered in this not very big town. Yeah. Like, that's a lot of murder. It is a lot of murder. But if you control the police force, you could just be like, nah. No. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it sort of speaks to maybe the totalitarian aspect. They might also, so something they might be doing is, um, like, this is sort of, I think, the extreme level of it. And they don't go into this specifically, but I feel like they probably have some Yerks who are still waiting for hosts, potentially. And um, if they have someone who's low on Condrona to go and trade out for another Yerk who isn't, low on Kondrona, who can, like, just sort of spend three days in there, and just to sort of maintain the, like, appearance of normality for a while. 
Yeah, cause I think I think maybe they still had Candrona rays up on the ship, so maybe they were also because I Yerks take up less space than a controller, so it would probably mm. be pretty much more efficient to like drop a bunch of Yerks on Earth than ship a bunch of controllers up to the ship. Like clearly they did that for some of the controllers, but. It could yeah. also be that some of the controllers who weren't high value enough and whose yerks weren't high value enough get transported up to the ship. They basically just dropped a bunch of yerks down, would be my guess. And I think it also speaks to, you know, I know I'm kind of sometimes a resident yerk apologist a little bit, but I do think that it speaks to the fact that the yerk empire is also horrible, that they are willing to take those losses of a lot of yerks um, who were just considered not valuable enough, which I think speaks to a lot of the bigotry that is inherent in both the Andalite and the Yerk empires, and it's kind of inherent in any empire. Like, empire necessarily involves cost-benefit analysis yeah. analyses that other people's lives. Kill people. yeah. Yeah. yeah, and the thing is that a lot of times those fall along lines that are consistent with various existing prejudices and marginalizations and bigotries, and that's why it's bad. That's why I mean, yes. Of but... of many other reasons as well. That's one of the reasons. It, it, it's, it's a cost benefit analysis that kills people. That in and of itself is bad. Uh, but yes, I mean, in as much as like. So, yeah, this sort of harrowing experience occurs, and the kids are like, yay, we're winning, and Axe is like, yay. Um, <laughs> uh, we cut to Axe doing his morning ritual, um, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, there's a lot that we can do to, like, break it down. If this is actually the ritual that, like, all artists at least do. Like, I've heard a little bit about rituals, and I think that there are different rituals for different parts of and a light society, but um, the like warrior ritual is very like telling as to the militarization of Andalites psychologically and otherwise. I love that we get his internal doubts about it. Like when you when you are a person who has faith in something or who is bought into a system to this degree, like soldiers or um, like people who are you know faithful to like a god or something like that like when you're bought into that kind of system usually this sort of thing is presented as a matter of course and as a matter of like of course this is a display of my sort of like genuine devotion but axe kind of goes the extra mile here and indicates to us directly uh that he's full of doubt about this from the get-go like let's read that's a really it's a really emotionally open and sort of vulnerable take and i'm uh I, I, it tells me a lot about his character and sort of, yeah, anyway, you were gonna, yeah, go for it, go for it. I was just gonna say, do you mind if I read the, the whole ritual, just so we... Yeah, do it up. From the water that gave birth to us, from the grass that feeds us, from the freedom that unites us, we rise to the stars. Freedom is my only cause, duty to my people, my only guide, obedience to my prince, my only, or my only glory, the destruction of my enemies, my most solemn vow. I, Aximilius Gareth Estill, Andalite warrior cadet, offer my life. And that's basically it. So, like, here's the structure, right? Here's the framework that, you know, this kid has grown up in and has dedicated himself mm -hmm. to. And this is the structure that he continues to come back to every day to sort of reaffirm his identity to himself. But he's grappling with loneliness and, like, loss of 
hope it. It's just like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. Who shows up? Tobias shows up. Yeah, I like their friendship. Their friendship is great. I just, I just want to say, because chronologically this happens before Tobias shows up, I know I am really trying to put aside my prejudices, but I just want to note that the Andalites have a historical event that they call kindness that is bad and that there is a law against. Like, yeah, it's a bitter <laughs> irony. Yeah, I, I don't know. think that that's mean. I think we can we can sort of see the immediate downside. I'm just like, bro, you've got a law against kindness. That's I mean, because that's not literally what the law is, but it kind of feels like that's what the law is. It's very uh, it's very Orwellian in in tone. I love that Axe and Tobias are buds, and we haven't really seen that at all because most of the sort of past couple of books have been focused on the others. But like, yeah, and they even sort of characterize their friendship in that way as like the two weird ones like a bird and a whatever <laughs> Tobias decides to s- describe an Andalite as. Just like really weird animals. Oh no, my tic-tac. Your, your what? My tic-tac, it fell out of my pocket. Oh. I keep one tic-tac in my pocket at all times. <laughs> Always keep a back frack. I love the idea of Shorm. It sounds pretty gay to me. <laughs> I don't know, sounds gay to me. I think in this specific instance it's not necessarily gay, but it is definitely there is some homoeroticism to the concept. Um the the idea of like holding essentially a knife but also part of your body to someone's neck and that being like a signal or or like metaphorically a signal of your affection and closeness like i don't know that's pretty gay um i don't know if we can codify acts in this way because he comes from a different culture but i do know this much acts gets demonstrably noticeably straighter when he morphs into a human (laughs) i hate this part and i want to address it we'll get to it we'll get to it though because that's 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 jumping ahead a little bit i was looking in my nose but he gets straighter when he morphs into a human. I think this is just Axe's performative masculinity corner. And his name is John C. But again, we should wait for that. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, Axe uh, gets a little bit into uh, the, the sort of like, what do they teach about humans in Andalite school for Andalites? And like, <laughs> in school during xenobiology, we had a section on humans. And I'm like, I was like, apparently they're just like, I don't know. Uh, it's wild to me that, like, Cassandra, you talked a while ago about uh, Axe being sort of, uh, or sort of, like, human beings understanding Axe's sort of, like, approach to the world as lining up with our understanding of, like, a neuroatypicality. Oh, yeah, I took so mm-hmm. many notes about this. Axe not really paying attention in MTV class, but being able to reprogram <laughs> radio satellites. He tells everybody that he's not a very good student, but he's able to just be like, oh yeah, I, I can just like, I can just tweak. Ah, oh, man, kid has some interests and kid is not interested in some other things. And that's just how it be. Ah, uh, yes, ADHD. Andalite deficit hyperactivity disorder. <laughs> right, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, I'm Andalite. I'm Andalite deficit. <laughs> Not enough Andalites. Oh no, but it's sad because he does have an Andalite deficit because he's oh, low. No. Oh my god. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. I play 
A D D. No, no, no. It's A D D D. And like deficit depression disorder. No, oh, that's just sad, Airsoft. <laughs> okay, no, all right, okay. Um, anyway, uh, what they teach about humans in Andalite School for Andalites is uh, they they have culture and. See, I told yeah. you Visser Three was hanging out right outside of Earth's orbit, watching old Sailor Moon episodes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's where yep. he gets yeah, his confirmed. voice from. Exactly. Visser 3 learned to be a villain by watching old Sailor Moon episodes. It's a historical fact. I have never seen Sailor Moon. Me neither. I'm just referencing it. But what I understand about it is that she makes friends with... Never running from a real fight. Okay. She is the one called Sailor Moon. Doesn't she make friends with everyone and not have... She will never turn her back on a friend. so. After Operation Star Trek at the movies uh, is a failure, um, they then decide that they're gonna bring Axe to school. Not as a not as a show and tell, as a human, <laughs> as, as a, a human, as, as a, a human named human. Philip. Like that's how you permanently win first grade show and tell is bringing in an alien. <laughs> that is how you permanently win. This is true. <laughs> what, do you win show and tell? Like if you what? bring in an alien, you win. I mean, it's not, like, official, but show-and-tell was always a competition in my if, school. If you bring in an okay. alien, you it retroactively becomes a competition, <laughs> and competition. you win. I did actually bring an Andalite in for show-and-tell one time, but it wasn't a real Andalite. I made an Andalite out of Legos. Nice. How big was it? I have nothing to add to this conversation mm-hmm. because I was homeschooled, and show-and-tell when you're at home is ah. you pick up your dog. Axe is introduced to school, or as I like to think of it, purgatory according to yep. Cassie. Yes. there oh, were Cassie. large numbers of humans racing around all at high, uh, racing about at high speed others moved very slowly and seemed sad or ill the school Relatable. system in the 90s was a prison yeah. it was well it, it was a like was low ceiling prison even if it wasn't literally a prison it was often designed oh. by the same people who designed prisons and it was meant to shuttle a certain amount of the population into prisons Correct. I have a thing. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Axe says that he can't thought speak while he's in human morph. Oh yeah, this. Yeah. I, I marked this down as well. This is like wrong. That makes no sense. No, this is like incorrect. Like I don't. This is so weird to me because not to belabor the point, but I have an Andalite best friend, and she has a human morph, and she speaks and thought speaks. Like she can't do it like simultaneously but she can switch from speaking with her mouth and speaking with thought speak separately i think axe is just really bad at it (laughs) he makes it seem like it's an impossibility it's not like which again presents an info hazard of course no one could answer tobias humans can use thought speech only when they're in a morph and since i was in a human body i too was restricted to spoken language that's not how it works lies it's just Oh, yeah, this makes no sense. Sorry, I got distracted for a second there. I'm sure everyone was waiting for my input, but yeah, no, I'm super suspicious about that. I them. was waiting for your input. We do get to the the horrible betrayal of queerness, though. Wait, okay, but what if this is like, yes, we are going to Cassandra's conspiracy corner for a second. You don't need to make fun of me. I just did it for myself. But 
what it can if just this... be conspiracy corner. Okay, thank you. But what there's if... only so many corners in this room. But, but what but if... if you could preserve the liberation with Marco's masculinity corner and Cassandra's conspiracy corner? There's that's like true. Two... Oh, but what okay. if I could finish a sentence? What if um, it's a some kind of like cover up? to make it seem like Andalites among us who are morphed as human and passing as human and as much as an Andalite can pass as human are not able to thought speak. Like kind of how we talked before about how Visser 3 hides things about morphing from his subordinates to keep from showing weaknesses and to hold information back so he has something up his slippery little tentacle filled sleeves what if this is kind of the same Mm -hmm. thing absolutely though completely yes yeah that's that's cassandra's conspiracy corner i want to talk about the beginning of chapter six Mm -hmm. my other human friends tell me that rachel is beautiful and marco is cute Uh... and as an andalite i don't i don't observe either trait however when i'm in human morph i begin to see that rachel actually is very beautiful but I never see that Marco is cute. I accidentally escaruth Isil am a straight heterosexual male. <laughs> I refuse to acknowledge this, and I think that it is acts again, like with Marco, doing a lady doth protest too much thing. I think it I it's more of his like it's more of his approach to humanity as like bizarro absurdist comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I'd also like to I'd also like to point out a potential flaw in this from like if this is like a real thing that actually happened. Here's my conspiracy. Um why does Axe just like how does he just like know beauty standards all of a sudden, you know? Like why does he suddenly pick up on the fact that Rachel is beautiful? We know for a fact that there's a nature versus nurture aspect to attraction and what you're trained on is a huge element of what attracts you to someone else. So Axe is just going off of like the fact that he's like, oh, I must assume that Rachel is beautiful or whatever because my friends say she is beautiful. It would be very hard to convince me that Axe Amelia Iscareth is still a freaking Andalite from the planet Andalite. It's just like, <laughs> he morphs into a human and immediately gets going for some friend of his that like it just doesn't it's not you can you don't just see people and you're I, ah! but he's a straight heterosexual male or this so this is a great conversation so i'm going to leave for a second i have to go take my meds okay oh, you do that. did i take my meds today i'm so mad i could yell about this forever oh my god it just doesn't make any sense it, oh god okay hi marco rachel jake said meet my cousin Philip. Yes, <laughs> right. I am Prince Jake's cousin Philip, I said. I am from out of state. <laughs> from way, way out of state. <laughs> it, it, yeah, that is the funniest thing that Marco says in this book. You're from way out of state. <laughs> that That's a great line. Don't call me Prince. Prince Jake hissed. <laughs> I don't understand why Axe doesn't respect this boundary of Jake's. Like, I don't understand. It's to maintain the veneer of regular Andalite civilization that he's lost. <laughs> He has to have a prince, and it has to be Prince Jake. So does that does that override the sort of personal preferences of the people that you're set technically supposed to be following orders from? Um, I don't know. I don't know either. It just it, it rubs me the wrong way because I've grown up in a society that really values like autonomy and consent and like that kind of stuff. And so the fact that he keeps screwing that up is really irritating to me. Um, Axe is subjected to the auditory torture of the. The, uh, the school bell, 
Uh, and then maybe the most horrifying thing. Oh, God, yeah. I've been a childcare provider for most of my professional life, and this is just the scariest thing I can imagine happening to a classroom full of, like, highly institutionalized children. With Mr. Pardew? Yeah. Just suddenly you lose your whole composure and uh, you're on the floor and there's... Yeah, God. Oh, it's so awful. Um, yeah, this horrible, horrible, awful thing with Mr. Purdue happens, or Mr. Pardew. <laughs> Mr. Purdue. He makes the chicken. Um, yes, and then Chapman comes along and uh, does the thing with the cylinder and Axe notices and it's just like, wow, that sucks. But Jake, Jake also notices this time. Yeah, Jake displays his own understanding of what sort of like, what I, what I understand to be his understanding of like a warrior's honor. You know, mm -hmm. because Jake knows what this is like. Jake knows what is happening here. And Jake risks everything to provide reassurance to someone who is undergoing just about, again, the worst thing. Yeah, sorry to be a dishonorable non-combatant here, but this was stupid and Jake shouldn't have done it. I agree. It wasn't a good choice for... But it was an honorable choice. And I think it's an interesting reflection of something that Axe does at the end of this book. It reminds me of... <clears throat> Sorry, I was eating some cake. Um, it reminds me <clears throat> of, um, like, the thing in meat processing plants, like the stun gun. Oh, the Captain Bolt Stunner? Yeah. Oof. And so, yeah, this is where it kind of breaks open for folks that, uh, yeah, this, it's, it's... It's it's murder. Axe has Axe has been keeping some secrets. Yes, Axe has been keeping some secrets, and then that. Cassandra, can I have some cake? We live kind of far from each other, so no. So Marco is sort of sent to take care of the Axe situation, and um, which is an interesting choice. Yeah, right. Marco is not has not really been friendly with Axe up until this point, but. Marco makes a mistake and has to get, like, I think it's bus money or something, and he goes back to his house. And in, like, the spare few minutes where Axe is just, like, let loose in a house, he changes the course of human history forever and ever <laughs> and ever. Yeah. And if this is actually literally how it happened, that's incredible. What? That this is, like, first contact in terms of, like, technological advancement? Like, Axe Gareth is still, like, I didn't know this. Like, actually, Asgareth the Still was just the one to introduce Z-Space technology to astronomers? Is this really how it happened? That's crazy. I what? hope not, because this is just, like, mind-bogglingly ridiculous. So I hope this is made up, frankly. I guess it's plausible that Indelite like, could, like, access a 90s computer and just code Z-Space stuff. <laughs> I mean, Marco's father is, like... An important person, so he would have a, like a good computer. That... I don't think there was such a thing as a good computer in the <laughs> 1990s. You know what I mean. Correct. They were all floppy, or the discs were floppy. Something was floppy. I merely played the game. Game? That was no game. That was my dad's work. No, it was a game. We had to find the errors and the instructions. Suddenly, an idea. I don't. This explanation. I think Axe just, like, looked at the thing and was, like, felt a compulsion to fix Which is it. another neurodivergent thing of just, like, I have to fix this. Yes, exactly. Like, this needs to lie I have correctly. to fix this. I, it doesn't make sense to me that this is just, like, something analogous to a game that Andalite children play. That doesn't fly for me. This was Axe being like, no, 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 it's wrong. It's wrong. I gotta, I gotta fix it. Right. 
I don't know. That being said, I do kind of vibe with this um, explanation in a way because the very, very little bit of programming I have done, once I got good enough at it that I knew like what I was doing and I wasn't just tearing my hair out. And instead I was just like, oh, I bet if I rephrase this thing this way, it will do that thing. It did feel like a game at that point, like a linguistic logic puzzle game. We also uh, skipped over, just want to go back a second, my favorite comedic moment from this whole book. Um, <laughs> what is the matter? I asked. What's the matter? Marco demanded. You're asking what's the matter? I'll tell, but it's just at that point. Marco <laughs> crossed the line from thought speaking and worked back to humor. His human mouth was still a beak, however, so he just squawked. <laughs> What's the matter? You're asking what's the matter. I'll tell. Exactly. <laughs> I also have occasionally become so incoherent that I just start uh, making bird noises. I was doing that literally like yesterday thinking about a book series that I like. I just, because mere human language couldn't encompass how I feel about the characters in my favorite book series. You were just thinking too loud. Oh, I, I also, I really wonder what the, like, cultural context is for that nickname for the commander dude. Old Hoof and Tail. What is that supposed to, like, Not entail? Clue. Yeah, no idea. They, they kind of talk about this in the book, but it's a little bit more complex than Axe likes to pretend it is. They talk about how when Andalite... Andalites age, their hooves become kind of dull, mm-hmm. and their tail blades can become kind of dull over time. Oh, uh, so is he, like, calling him old? Yeah, I think he's literally just calling him, like, old. Like It's like the equivalent of Baldy. Yeah, yeah, actually, it's, like, almost exactly the equivalent of Balding, because that's, that's compared um, when he meets Cassie's father. We should move on. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Axe lies to the squad. Continually. <laughs> I have to leave in, like, ten minutes. Okay. So, oh, just wanted to... oh, yeah, and we are not very far. No. Um, what happens next? Um, uh, mm-hmm. Axe goes night running to eat and think, and Cassie is like, hey, you seem lonely. You know, the, their whole approach to sort of trying to press Axe for information reminds me a lot of their whole approach to, hey, Jake's a controller now, what do we do about that? Like, they kind of tag team it a little bit. Mm-hmm. They're like, everybody kind of gets a moment where they're like, hey, here's my approach to solving this thing. And they all kind of like glom those together and come up with a big group approach. And it's kind of cool. Anyway, Cassie invites Axe in for a meal. This is an extremely, yeah, I just really like this moment between the two of them. She's really kind here. And she like does this full, and like knowing full well that like Axe is kind of just being really frustrating right now and endangering people's lives. But like, she wants to put her best foot forward, and I like really like that. I think it also reminded me a little bit of the way that they, it's less textual, but you can kind of extrapolate it from what you see around the edges. The way that they try and amateur therapy-ify Tobias a little bit. Oh, where? Not like in here, just like in general, the way, especially mm. the way that like Rachel tries to be helpful, and they all sort of have their different approaches, especially in the like first few journals when Tobias is adjusting more. That makes sense. I mean, he, he is an allegory for mental health. So. Mm-hmm. Are we not all allegories for mental health? Axe sort of talks a lot more about sort of like his sort of frustration with his role as a youngling. But like he's frustrated with being young and having an older brother who is like a, a, a folk hero. He's like this cultural icon. Right, and especially the way that Axe actually relates to Elfangor is like he didn't know him for the first chunk of his childhood and then Elfangor just sort of comes home and his parents 
love him and he's so amazing and so much better than Axe at everything and the way that you look up to a brother, but also he's further enamored in the like folktale image of his brother with the fact that he's ostensibly a war hero. Yeah, it's like if your brother was Alexander the Great. Yeah, uh, X gets a little bit of domestic chill time with a normal you, Don't you mean family. chilly time? Chilly, <laughs> exactly. Um, Axe discovers spicy food and it's a religious experience. Uh, Cassie's mom's reaction to Axe is... Or, or, Axe as Jake is always hilarious. Yeah. That always makes me laugh. Axe's attempt at making conversation is great. I mean, have we not all been stuck in an awkward social situation and been like, you know what I'm sure everyone here wants to hear about? This cool plant I found. <laughs> the cream separator. <laughs> so Jake, you think the bulls are going to go all the way again this year? Cassie's father asked. I could tell that Cassie was growing tense. She was afraid that I would not understand the question. But thanks to my reading of the World Almanac, I knew the Bulls were a sport team. Yes, I answered, they can go all the way. And without elaborating, without making any more conversation about that, he says, <laughs> he says, then it was my turn to ask a question. Is that is how though? making conversation works. Is it though? And then he says out loud, so did you know that the cream separator was invented in 1878? <laughs> Speaking about my whole thing about how Axe is probably neurodivergent by Andalite standards and definitely uh, neurodivergent yeah. by virtue of being an alien from human standards. Apparently they did not know. Cassie, her mother, and her father all stared at me in surprise. I love the understatement here. The, the whiplash <laughs> here between, like, I'm grappling with my destiny and my relationship to sort of my culture's obsession with honor and... I am wandering through being a human being. <laughs> like, so I am really excited to talk about this journal with y'all, but I actually have to go. I have like a meeting that oh, came no. up for my work, which has been suspended with the dripping and everything. But they are having like a meeting, and I think we're gonna field some questions. And I, I really want to be there. So, okay. um, sorry to have to leave a little early, but I'm just gonna give a quick overview of the rest of my feelings about the rest of this book give us your notes okay <laughs> also um all of the notes that i took from this are apparently general size chicken shrimp lo mein tofu fried rice egg roll veggie roll saute sauteed sliced pork and fried tofu with mixed veggies i don't know why my chinese order is in my animorphs um notes <laughs> on my computer <laughs> Nor do I. You were temporarily <laughs> possessed by the spirit of Aximilias Garuth Isthil. I think I was, and I'd like to continue to have that happen. Anyways, bye, y'all. Bye. Stay, Stay safe. safe. Stay safe. Chapter 12, uh, Axe is brooding a little bit after eating delicious chili and reading quotes, and then he seeks Tobias's counsel and is like, hey, can you do something kind of clandestine for slash with me? And Tobias is like, yeah. You know, just casual bro things. Just casual bro swearing by your dead brother that I will <laughs> keep a secret. You know, <laughs> just guy things. Yeah. Axe morphs into a harrier and Tobias guides him to the radio telescope. Uh, Tobias lets Axe know that seagulls can get obnoxious and will swarm hawks if they're in the wrong mood, confirming the seagulls are just the worst birds. In chapter 14, Tobias says, according to Marco, this place isn't really operating yet, so I don't know how many people will be around, but we need to find a place to land so you can morph into something useful and do whatever. Mm -hmm. Tobias, is that sarcasm? The way you ask me what I'm doing? 
No, it's not sarcasm. I think it's called being snide. Ah, thanks for explaining. No one uses fax machines, but call, you'll hear the noise. Statues left by ancient Greeks, the perfect cheeks of goddesses and boys. Piled in the closet, broken toys. Axe makes contact with Andalite High Command. He thinks really, really hard into a machine, and that is apparently enough. Um, Andalite technology is wild. Yeah, jeepers. So we definitely have, like, moments where people are, like, sort of spontaneously rewriting history and being like, oh, no, this didn't happen. Yeah. Young Aximili, your brother Elfangor is a hero. The people need heroes in this endless war. I do not wish to tell the people that in the end Elfangor broke the laws. There can be no forgiveness for a prince that breaks the laws, unlike in our seeth. Our east. Sorry, got that word wrong. So I ask you to think again. Was it truly Elfangor who gave this technology to the humans? Yeah, it's so weird, though, because I feel like I don't remember this. I feel like I must have read, like, a little kid's version when I read this last time. I mean... There were some edits, like, like some of them were updated with updated pop, pop culture references. Yeah, like, yes. We have record of that, but this isn't a pop culture reference. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I just completely glossed over it last time I read. Because I feel like it's probably a pretty major plot point going forward. I mean, yeah, obviously I don't really remember. Anyway. Uh, yes, so Prince Ciro's, uh, sort of, like, Ciro's gift is, like, or Ciro's kindness is sort of implied heavily and ominously a, a couple more times. Yeah, they just um, keep building it up until he finally explains it way later. And then, uh... Time for heartbreak with Axe's dad. It sucks that every Andalite he talks to immediately is like, where's your brother? I do think some of that is just because A, he should be there and he obviously isn't, and B, like, Axe is a kid. You know, if there was, like, a 13-year-old human kid who should have been hanging out with his 20-something-year-old older brother and he calls home and his older brother isn't there, I do think it makes some sense to be like, uh, where's your brother? He's supposed to be, like, keeping an eye on you. Do they ask, are you okay? Does anybody ask Axe if he's okay? Nope. Not really, no. Not even remotely. I think they have just the intention of like, oh, he should be there. What's up with that? But to Axe, who has all these feelings of like inadequacy surrounding his older brother, it I'm sure feels terrible. And then, and then especially his dad just segues immediately. Like, I guess it's required by their culture, but his dad just immediately segues into the, like, ritual of death instead of being like, are you okay? Did you get hurt? Um, he does say after the whole ritual, which we should probably analyze the ritual, he does say, I am relieved to see that you are still well. Yeah, I think that the, I think the, the sort of, like, death custom of, like, you gotta do that thing first makes sense to me i guess but it's just i feel bad that immediately it's like where is your brother tell me about how he died now you have to kill his killer i'm glad to see that you're okay bye i mean he doesn't say bye well he doesn't he doesn't say bye because because axe gets held up at gunpoint by a controller but i i just the the fact that he progresses i know that's kind of what axe was expecting and what he's used to but it still sucks 
So here, here's a good moment for your Yurk apologism. Oh, I have been waiting. Because we, we've got we've got a Yurk here who's not entirely dedicated to the cause of total domination of Earth. And this was what I was talking about when we were talking about, you know, Jake casually committing mass murder. Is there's so many of the Yurks were not on board with the war effort. We see this even more as the journals go on. There are some Yerks that are pacifists. There are some Yerks that are very reluctantly being dragged in. There are some Yerks who were enthusiastic but are no longer. There are Yerks who are forming their own resistance. So many there's Yerks are a very like diverse group of people. And you can't just mass murder them because you assume that they're all enemies. Some of them could have been your allies, Jake. They're flying under the same flag, though, of, like, total destruction of... But they're not They're not under that flag. They were just happened to be all in the same pool. There was no flag on the physical therapy pool. Not like, you know, I'm talking about it, like, metaphorically. I know, like, I they know. All came, they all came no to Earth for this purpose. Even if they were brought there against their will. Like, that's that's... In this moment, we sort of begin to sort of recognize again because i haven't read i haven't read the rest of the journal so like in this moment i'm like okay so this actually is a thing yeah right this isn't just me being like oh what if i'm citing actual historical documentation here right but like no not but like axe receives the location of viscer three's feeding grounds from this controller whose yerk wants viscer three dead uh because of uh personal vendetta Axe has just been handed a piece of information by a a Yurk disloyal to the cause of domination of Earth. Booyah, go Eslin. Uh, yes, I suppose so. But then, but he's got he's got other stuff. Axe has other stuff that he needs to deal with first because the next thing that happens is he gets called to a meeting of the rest of the animorphs. Can we for can we talk about or, defectors? Is that the say? word you're looking for? Defectors. Yeah. Yeah, that, like, this person is like, okay, yeah, it's great that they're helping, but it took a, like, personal, like, this individual that I care about died, and now, now I want revenge, not, like, I think that what we're doing is wrong. The Animorph stage and intervention. Yeah, I was reading this and I was like, this really does read just, like, an intervention. I mean, they've... Basically all, except for Rachel, approached him personally at this point, and they're fed up. Yeah. It's an intervention. Is it Jake? Jake mentions another uh, instance in a local paper of what he believes to be a controller whose year dies. They're like, they, they recognize the human toll of this. They recognize the like, okay, anybody who's in this situation they know now just dies, is just killed. Mm-hmm. And now the other alien that we've teamed up with is keeping secrets from us yeah yeah because like for our like hindsight 2020 this is an obvious thing that they would have a contingency for similar to like using the transmitter to to lure a bug fighter down it sounds clever but they've been the two powers have been fighting each other for a really long time they've dealt with this before and they have contingency plans and you're not gonna outsmart them that easily and it's frustrating that axe knew he's seen this happen on other planets Mm -hmm. it's not just like not sharing the technology it's like letting them go ahead with a plan that he knew was gonna fail not contributing in any constructive way like this was a terrible plan that killed a lot of people 
I will admit that with Yerks who already did have hosts, I do think it is less likely that Yerks with hosts would be completely innocent and would be, you know, conscientious objectors or anything. Although, obviously, in this specific journal, we do see that a little bit with Eslin. Um, and I will say that in the future, we do also see that with Yerks who have hosts. But I do think it makes sense to me, from what I know, that most Yerks who already have hosts probably would not be the Yerks who are more likely to be relatively innocent in this. So, mm-hmm. I I think it is you swim a up little less objectionable to me that this plan is killing Yerks with hosts, although I do still object. But I do think that it is kind of um, a jerk move on Axe's part. It's sort of like um, a consent thing, almost, in a way. Like, the other Animorphs didn't consent to this version of their plan, and that's kind of Axe's fault, because this is what he knew would happen. Yeah. When you make a plan, you consider what the collateral damage could be, and, like, you need to consider that to make a moral choice. And to be fair, the other Animorphs probably could have thought that this might be the thing that would happen if they put a little more thought into it, and I think they were being overly optimistic, but... Axel they didn't they definitely didn't expect mr pardue to get murdered as a result of this plan they're kids i think it comes like the the strategic mistakes they that they come back to where it seems like they have something really smart like and then it comes back to these are kids fighting i can i can give them some some credit they wouldn't be able to think in those kind of terms in the kind of terms of like right outside of just this individual battle they wouldn't think what the whole what has been happening over the whole war and how that would affect uh, their enemy and like what their enemy is ready for. They just think about the immediate effects. Uh, I don't know. To me, it seems like if you are a species that has this very hard biological limitation, which Jake has experienced and Jake is very familiar with, that you have to get the Kendrona rays every three days, then like. I feel like if you're fighting that species, that should be something that's in the forefront of your mind. And you should be like, oh, probably they plan around it in much the same way that human beings plan around, like, needing to breathe air. And that it's probably something that they have contingency plans for, like, when human beings go scuba diving and bring air. Well, regardless... We can agree that in this situation, the Animorphs feel like they are in over their heads and they are blaming it on Axe. And I agree with them blaming it on Axe. Axe kind of doubles down a little bit on, like, the sort of I can't tell you stuff. Eventually, he is just sort of, he's put up against, again, the dedication that he feels to Andalite society and the sort of honor code that he was brought up with and the code of values that he was brought up with. Versus the clear and present need to act against those values in the interests of the people that he cares about. Mm-hmm. And what that ultimately results in is him being like, I guess I have to walk away now. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you don't you don't break that kind of conditioning in a day. So I understand why it takes him a little longer. And he initially has a lot of defensiveness and resistance. But also, like, Axe, come on. This is totally a situation where it makes sense to break those rules. I feel like I talk about Star Trek every week. You do. But they they do go to a Star Trek movie. Mm-hmm. So... 
the like something something's kindness. Zero's Zero. kindness. Zero's kindness is very similar to the prime directive and from that perspective and being like immersed in that sort of fictional world i can sort of see where it is of not trying to not wanting to impede the sort of natural growth of other civilizations the andalites released essentially a nuclear bomb all over the galaxy i would argue maybe more like a biological weapon if you want to make that comparison yeah I mean, both, like, leave traces and affect, like, way farther than the area of immediate effect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, like so what specifically... What happens when you introduce a disease to a population that has no antibodies for it? Yeah. Yeah. The, Except and the population's then, the whole universe. At that point, they've already meddled. Everywhere the Yerks go has already been poisoned by the Indolites, and them not giving those societies the tools and the knowledge necessary to free themselves is tying one hand behind their own backs and also imposing their imposing their own mistakes on other people. And it's, it's the appeal to nature sort of logical fallacy that keeps the Andalites from, Hey, you know what else this reminds me of? Mm -hmm. What are, what's the other, what's the other, um, Sort of like overseeing force in this universe that claims not to interfere but actually is doing a lot. Uh, hmm. Hey, hey. Hmm. Well, okay. To be fair, I don't believe in the Elemist. I'm really annoyed that I was um sick last week, but go on. Well, I'm just saying there's a comparison to be made there in terms of are you ever really not responsible? Is there ever a situation where you have the means to intercede on someone's behalf and you don't feel the responsibility to do so? Or like, it's tricky. Okay, so it's tokenism to sort of think of Axe as a perfect representative of his species. Because I think we've talked about Axe is weird by Andalite standards too. What is the Andalite capacity for nuance? What is the Andalite capacity to look at a situation from a number of angles or from, like, including a number of factors and maybe reach a different conclusion? Because maybe it's just that, like, they were like, oh, we screwed up real bad and now we're never doing this again. What does it say about the authoritarianism of their society? This opens a huge philosophical question. And I think in a, in a, a society with freedom of expression, like freedom of expression and freedom of thought that it would be something that was ongoing and that people had many nuanced opinions about and like questioned that it was normal to have this be a question. I mean, again, going to obviously it's Star Trek is fictional, but like Star Trek was also a way of people working through these issues, like create, like creating it and like being able to think about it. Like the prime directive isn't something everybody always always obeys forever like so many times you the the definition of what creates an episode a lot of the time is here's a nuanced situation where this single rule does not fully cover it and what do we do and what moral choices do we make it's something that is grappled with whereas what it seems like is that axe is brainwashed to only... To the point where he is willing to die for it, which I think brings us to chapter 18. Yeah, so uh, he he's he's doing his morning ritual, except this time it is different because he is going... He is sort of like... Going on a suicide mission. Yeah, he's pledging his vow of retaliation on Visor 3, uh, which is clearly a suicide mission. Tobias jumps in and is like, uh, hmm... 
Tobias, I don't know. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it would be rude to say Tobias kind of reminded me of you, Cassandra, in this moment. It's like kind of cold-blooded, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing in a battle, but just to set out to assassinate someone. <laughs> like, well, he has I feel like point. he's kind of, I feel like he's kind of being a jerk on purpose here to get a rise out of Axe and sort of like break the cycle that's going on yeah. in his brain, which I think is actually like a pretty smart tactic. Yeah, I, I um, agree with you. I yeah. think Tobias, A, has a point, and B, is trying to snap Axe out of it. And as much as it's a revenge killing, how does it actually affect or change the situation on Earth if you kill Visor 3? I mean, that benefits Visor 1. Visor 1 yeah. is totally out to, to undermine Visor 3. And frankly, Visor 1 is smarter than Visor 3. Like, this is kind of a devil-you-know situation. Axe, I... Uh makes Tobias promise again not to tell anyone mm -hmm. about what's going on, and then Axe takes off. Um, I love his description that he's running towards what he views as his demise, and every time he becomes, like, every time he realizes that, and every time he becomes more scared of it, he uses it as fuel to propel himself onward. I also thought his sort of imagination of what people would say, like his obituary was really interesting because um, I've definitely like imagined my obituary a lot. It actually, it made me feel a little bad because I kind of rag on all of the Animorphs so much. And so some of the things that Axe is like thinking that people might say about him after his death are in fact things that I am, similar to things that I am saying about the Animorphs, you know, a hundred years after the journals take place, after their deaths. This is, uh, yeah, I don't know. This is the baggage of living in a military society and being a soldier. Anyway, uh, Axe gets to the spot. Axe is looking around. He doesn't see anything. He sees just the wildlife of Earth. Two deer grazing. Squirrels racing up and down the trunks of trees. A skunk waddling boldly past. Okay, so we got... Jake, <laughs> Rachel, Marco, Cassie. That's at least two squirrels racing up and down the trunks of trees, which means we have one animal that isn't an animorph, which means, like, basically, Marco is one of the squirrels and he's chasing the other squirrel, right? <laughs> like, that's that's what's going on here. Anyway, Axe looks around and is like, yep, just a bunch of earth mammals and not the earth mammals that I am concerned about. Yeah, um, like, come on, Axe. You should be suspicious of every single animal you see now. Yeah, he finds Visor 3's hit prints is, is like, I'm gonna just turn into a I'm just gonna turn into a rattlesnake. Ah, uh, yes, Chekhov's rattlesnake strikes again. Chekhov's <laughs> rattlesnake. Uh, so yeah, he waits as a literal snake in the grass. <laughs> And Visor 3 shows up, just as predicted. All according to Keikaku. Keikaku means plan. Yeah, so the snake strikes, and he bites Visor 3 a bunch of times, and Visor 3 falls. Axe tries to get away and starts morphing back to an Andalite, and he's surrounded mid-morph, and then a bear, a tiger, a wolf, and a hawk, and... Um, who am I forgetting? Uh, and a What's gorilla. Marco's? And a gorilla, thank you. All, uh, come to the rescue, and, yeah, and then there's this Andalite body. Any, 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 any 
time you've got somebody asking to be killed because they're it's so hard to read would it have been the right thing to do to finish off Aloran? do what he's asking and take that weapon of the andalite body from the yerks this is not going to be popular but my take is that axe did the wrong axe did the wrong thing here i think it's fitting and i think it's like i think it's a it's a resolution that makes sense given the sort of like arc of his sort of like emotional journey during this this book but i think he both dishonors aloran in a in a huge huge way i i think he's gotten so muddled in trying to figure out what is the right thing to do that he makes a bad call here. Yeah, I feel like it's it's barely even that he um, makes the decision more than he just sort of freaks out and doesn't make any decision. It feels less to me like he makes the conscious decision to let Aloran live. I think this is poor planning and kind of the worst possible end. Yeah. Given the situation that they are in. Um, but it's what happens. God, so. I want to live in the alternate universe where they rescued Aloran. Actually, maybe no, yeah, I don't. Never mind. Maybe it would be better. Who knows? All right. And then uh, after they scram, Axe spills his beans, basically, and gives Finally. them the whole deal about sort of like the backstory of Ciro's kindness and reveals that Andalites are essentially responsible for uh, Yurks being the parasitic, invasive, dominating force in the universe that they are. Parasitic is a little much. They are clearly parasites. Oh my god, Cassandra. But like, I would argue that Yurks' host bodies are actually... Okay, maybe I can't argue this. I'm not sure I can quite make myself argue this. I want to know more about the Geds. Yes. What is who, who and like the Andalite, like you're saying, Andalites are ableists. So like how bad off were the Geds actually? Like does nearly blind mean that they only had two eyes? Does nearly blind, and, and people who are blind get around just fine, yeah. especially if they've been blind their whole life. Like there's a lot of. Not very useful is the lat is the last thing that he says about the Geds. He says that they were nearly blind, clumsy, and not very useful. The Andalites making the judgment call of like, ooh, they're not very useful, is like their own ableism. But it is true that the Geds, like, did in fact have low vision and were in fact clumsy. Or like, this is a good example of the Prime Directive being violated in a way that is just bad. Is just, uh sort of paternalist and manipulative in nature. Give the Yerks cool robot bodies. Um, Axe expects the human Animorphs to just to just tear him to pieces over this. And they're like, yeah, we kind of get it. Yeah, I think it's like they're, they, I think it's because they're human that they're much more pro-Zero in some ways. Is they're not judging it from a consequentialist perspective. They're not judging it from the perspective of... And they finally get the question answered that all of the humans have been uh, hinting at the entire book <laughs> in some ways more subtle than not, which is how do they eat? Um, With their feet. Yeah, through the feet. Also, Axe uses... Axe uses the word shorm to describe yeah. his relationship with Tobias at the very end, and it's good. They're buds. Yeah, it's it's... I, I think, you know, it makes sense. They're both really lonely and really isolated from the Animorphs in certain ways, and they have a lot in common. And I think it's sweet that they're friends. That's my opinion. Oh, wait, there is one 
tiny last there's like a little epilogue yeah um he goes back to the radio telescope has some heated exchanges with the yerk trader go aslan and yeah makes it clear that he's had contact with the um with the the war prince uh who viscer three is inhabiting and has a conversation with this gruff old general person and then we get some more sort of hints about like the hork bajir's tragic backstory because that entire species has a tragic backstory anyway and that's journal eight god we talked for a lot of time it's this is a dense book yeah it's a dense a lot a lot happened What's the next book we're reading? Uh, Great question. The Secret. It's narrated by Cassie. I love her. (laughs) Next time, book nine, The Secret, Secret. narrated by Cassie. Cassie has more ethical dilemmas. Also, there are a lot of junk junks. Good God. Jokes about skunks. I can't tell if I'm tired or tipsy (laughs) or both. Junks. Skunk jokes. (laughs) Jokes. Skunk jokes. I think I am both tired and a little tipsy. Oh, boy. Stay Um, safe, everybody. Stay Stay safe. safe. Stay safe. Bye. Bye-bye. I want to note that literally every time we do the stay safe, I wave like I can actually see you guys. Thanks to Noelle McGarelli for the use of their song Comic Book Girl off the album Field Notes from Another Place and Complicated Spoon. You can find more of Noelle's music at noellemcgarelli.bandcamp.com or find a link in the show notes. The Morph Report podcast is hosted by Hamlet Cooper, Scrivener Lamb, Marina Malucci, and Blythe. You can follow us on Twitter at Morph Report. If you have a question for the Pottermorphs, email us and we'll answer it on the show. Our email is themorphreport at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. Stop in Armageddon like a comic book girl. Dead on